the Diamondbacks absolutely smashed the White Sox. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is you decide to make Big Sky Sports Talk a part of your day, my family and I greatly appreciate it. You found the only podcast in the world completely devoted to the coverage of the four major franchises of one major market, and that's Phoenix, Arizona. We do things a little bit differently. We do it from Big Sky Country, Billings, Montana. We cover ASU football and ASU basketball to go along with it, and all presented by the unofficial presenting sponsor of Muya Billings. Uh, this show, we may or may not talk about the Diamondbacks completely crushing the White Sox last night. Um, and, and the reason why is because at the time of this recording, everything I want is um, not available yet. So it might be uh, tomorrow's show. But... Uh, uh, I hope you're doing good. I hope your uh, Tuesday went well, and, and your your Wednesday is is uh, um is uh, going to be solid. Um, a late uh, day for me yesterday at work. Uh, I think a new record, eight thirty, eight thirty. So from um, eight to 8:30 um with an hour lunch. It was a uh, it was a long one, made some overtime money. Um that is for sure. Well, I mean it's not made yet. I have to anything over 40 hours, but I'm scheduled for 40 hours. So already three and a half hours over the scheduled amount. Um So yeah, that's that's good. Um but uh, not not a whole lot really uh, going on. Um, I I don't don't think I I don't think I have anything going on really. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, not 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 a whole lot to really talk about or anything like that. Um, so I, I guess we'll go ahead and get into it. We have. Um, azcardinals.com gives us Drew Petzing, Nick Rollis, and Jeff Rogers. As per usual, they spoke to the media uh, yesterday. Um, and then um, Arizona Sports YouTube page, uh, we have two. Uh, they're kind of um, the same topic, but just uh, from different angles about uh the Arizona Cardinals and um, one is, you know, uh, the bar has officially been raised, you know, with the win over the Cowboys. Um, and then uh, because, you know, the Cowboys, even though they lost, they're still viewed as a, a good team, a great team, if you will. Um, and then, uh, um, the topic of conversation that, you know, you, you kind of get, you kind of feel that Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals, you you can't poke fun of it, fun at them anymore, as it pertains to the on the field uh, product uh, right now, um, and, and of course the 
Philadelphia media will continue to do so. So it has a lot to do with that. And then uh, Sun Devil Source gives us Kenny Dillingham from yesterday uh, from yesterday's uh, media availability after practice. And then, and then of course, um, uh, dbacks.com will give us yesterday's uh, uh, recap of the game if it's available. If not, then... They they still will give it to us um, for tomorrow's show. So as of right now, just uh, Cardinals and uh, ASU, but maybe D backs at at the end um, if we can uh, um, if everything's processed the way um, it normally is. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get into some Cardinals up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Muya Burgers, Fries, Shakes, and Billings is the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. There are several Muya locations throughout the United States and a couple of locations internationally. Let's start out with the food. The burgers are fantastic. They have burgers for every lifestyle, vegan, keto, low-calorie, as well as gluten-free. My personal favorite is the Cheddar Bacon Barbecue Burger. Their fries are always fresh, and don't forget about the Muya sauce. You can get a shake to go along with it. Though the food is good, I always leave satisfied, but their customer service is at the top. Rico, he's the general manager of Muya Billings. He and his staff are top-notch. They are located at 2695 King Avenue West in Billings, Montana. So go see my guy Rico. He'll hook you up. And tell him I sent you. Muya Billings, the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. Well, uh, as per normal, the uh, coordinators for the Arizona Cardinals spoke to the media yesterday. And so we'll kick things off with uh, uh, Drew Petzing. Regardless of who the personnel is, it's kind of what you imagine it looking like in real time. Yeah, I think it's such a hard question to answer because the personnel is so tied to what it will look like. And that's true week to week. It's true when I got here, and it will evolve. And it consistently changes throughout the course of the year. Um, you know, certainly was happy with the way the guys went out and performed on Sunday. Uh, but I think it's got to look different every week, depending on the matchup and, and who we need to emphasize and who we need to attack. Is there another jump here, the jump you've made week to week here? Do you see? progress to make with the offense? Yeah, I think there's. if we're going to get to where we want to go long term, I think we need to improve every day. I think that's the mindset that we have to take in the meeting room. That's the mindset we have to take on the field. Uh, whether it's individuals improving, whether it's the scheme improving, I think that has to be at the forefront of everything we do in this organization. Not to make too much of the win and not to say that this staff you know, doesn't believe in what they're doing, but for a staff that is, for so many of them, in the first time role, first time in the NFL, to get that first win, is there any sort of like relief of, okay, the process we're doing is working and things are going in the right direction, and this is the proof of that? Yeah, I think anytime you know, you're doing something for the first time, you're looking for a little self-validation and say, hey, I'm doing the right things, I'm doing it the right way. You know, I think you see that on the day-to-day, -day, but certainly it's always nice to see it in the scoreboard. You know, at the end of the day, that's why we do this. We play to win. So was really excited for us as an offense, for the team, uh, for everybody involved to go out there and get the win on Sunday. Explosives. That you were able to generate as an 
Yeah, I think a lot of it speaks to the players. I mean, those guys work extremely hard, you know, in the run and the pass game, and there's so many people that go into every one of those plays. You know, it takes everybody on the field uh, during the week, getting understanding the scheme, getting great looks from our scout team, and then going out and executing. You know, so I, I think that's hats off to the players on those plays because they really made them work. I know that Gannon doesn't like to make it about himself, but for somebody who has worked with him for so many years to see him get to this point, did you have any special words for him after his first one as a head coach? Uh, it was emotional, honestly. It, it, you know, it's, you put a lot into this as, as a profession, as a team. You know, to see someone in that position that you're close with have that success, it was, uh, it was, a, it was really fun. It was a great moment. You mentioned everyone on, on big plays. What, what went into using Rondale on, on that running play, and what, aside from just his ability, obviously led to that play working the way it did? Yeah, obviously, you know, we talked about Rondell a little bit in this room. I think he's a great player. I think he brings a lot uh, to the offense, to the team. I think he presents a lot of challenges for the defense. I think you've seen that in really every game that we've played in different ways that we've moved him around the formation, used him in different roles. Uh, and on that given play, he kind of just, you know, took advantage of a, a really well-blocked play and a great look, and he did the rest himself. I mean, when he put his foot in the ground and kind of took off, you know, you could feel his speed and his power uh, as he got through the hole. So it was, uh, it was really well-blocked. And anytime you hit an explosive run, you're going to have somebody on the perimeter doing their job as well. So it's always good to see guys hustling down the field, blocking down the field uh, to finish that play and make sure it got in the end zone. If uh, you believe, and you know, we don't have a reason not to believe, but if you believe in what um, Jonathan Cannon said, that you know, when asked similar, similar, asked a similar question, that's not even what I was trying to say. Um, about Rondell, he he said that 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 you know his role, that plan, the 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 not necessarily play, but having him come out the backfield, just all whatever phrase you want to use, was kind of decided since OTAs, and uh, which is interesting. I think that that's pretty cool. That you know, and and obviously Rundell is accepting of that role and is playing it very nicely. Um, but it also, to me, uh, speaks to just how important OTAs are. And and you know, we have have so many players throughout the uh, league that, uh, um you know, try to sit some of that stuff out um, because it's it's voluntary. Um, and uh, uh, that just goes to show you how important coming to those practices, those days, if you will, really is. Where does the process begin with something like that? Like, hey, four would look good in the backfield or we think that this could be effective? I think you look at stuff he's done in his past and the way he is with the ball in his hand and, and how dynamic he can be and just say, hey, how many different ways can we get him in that position where he's in space with the ball, whether it's in the passing game, in the running game, a little bit of both. Uh, we started to emphasize it a little bit in that first game and hit him on some different things, and certainly that will continue moving forward. How much do you think his motion on the plate of Michael, along with Michael being kind of tight into the line, 
led to that play developing the way it did? Yeah, I think it's a big part of it. Anytime you can move guys around, especially with some speed, it creates a lot of communication on defense. And one of the things that we work and look for every week is, hey, how do we create confusion? How do we make them off balance? How do we get them into something they're not comfortable doing? And I think that motion certainly helped you know, create that explosive play. You want the offense to kind of adjust every week based on who you're playing in personnel. How much of what, you, how much carryover is there week to week in what you're doing? I guess. Yeah, it, it's a question that changes week to week, depending on how similar the matchup might be. Hey, is the front structure, is the personnel, is you know, the, from a defensive perspective, I'm saying, uh, has a big portion of hey, like, hey, we left a lot of things on the call sheet that we liked, and it's a similar scheme. Or hey, there's a, some stuff we left on this call sheet we liked, but different defense, different schemes. So I think that's always kind of finding that balance of, hey, these are plays that we're familiar with, that we've had good reps on that fit who we're playing. And hey, we need to go out and attack a different look, a different coverage, a different scheme. Um, so it, there's a balance there, but I'd say there's definitely carryover week to week. And there has to be to some extent, because you can't expect them to learn an entirely new playbook in you know six days. Do the big plays happen with, if you're not running the ball with Connor constantly? I mean, does he set those all up? And he had a couple himself with the ball in his hand. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's a big part of that. I mean, certainly his the threat of him running the ball and just what he brings to the running game, I think certainly allows us to create some big plays in the passing game. You know, he's a dynamic runner, as we've talked about. Uh, defenses, I think, certainly have to account for him and his ability. And a lot of his ability is based on what those front five, six, seven guys do in front of him. You know, uh, we can't run the ball well without a great offensive line, tight ends working hard in the run game and receivers on the perimeter. So it takes 11 guys to run it, but when you do run it well and he's a big part of that, I think it sets up other opportunities for guys in the passing game. Load the box against you guys then? Just to stop some of all that? Yeah, I think I mean, they're going to do what they do. I mean, they've played that defense at such a high level for such a long time. I don't think we're going to see a different San Francisco defense. You know, certainly they're going to have their game plan adjustments and some of the things that they want to do against us uh, that maybe didn't apply to other teams. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, that the talent level, the coaching, the detail, I mean, it's been part of that organization, you know, really since Kyle has taken over. Don't expect that to change this week or any week for that matter. Pass rush as a whole, specifically Micah Parsons, was essentially a non-factor. After looking at the film, what did you see from your O-line and how they made that happen? Yeah, as you said, I think the O-line, obviously, and the tight ends had a huge part in that. You know, whether it's chipping on the edge, staying in the protection, affecting those guys in their rushes, and then certainly those front five in terms of communication, execution of the plan, just a great job of finishing an effort. You know, that's one of those things that you see from a, a lot of the fronts in the NFL is they never stop. So as an offensive line, you have to keep going. Like, the play is never over, and I thought they did a really nice job of that on Sunday. What Danny asked just when you have – you only have to pass 21 times and you stay in third and manageable or try to avoid third and long. I mean, as you pivot to the Niners and really any opponent, I mean, how much is the validation to just show the team, yeah, when you do those things, you can have success? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, certainly, as you said, staying out of third and medium, third and long is, is what this league is about, regardless of who you're playing. So I think finding ways to do that. Sometimes that may be throwing the ball 40, 45 times to stay out of those situations. Um, but I think it is a critical message to the offense at all times, guys. Like, hey, if we're in third and eight-plus in this league, it's not a lot of fun for anybody. Um, so it was great to see that come to fruition on Sunday. I thought the guys really did a nice job. You know this is a week-to-week -week league, but playing like you did on Sunday, how much does that, you think, raises everybody's confidence level now going to play a team like the 49ers in that defense? Yeah, I think it's a balance because I think the other thing you don't want to do is think you've arrived. You know, like you have a good game, you played some good football. Hey, we're not where we need to be yet. So we got to continue to work. We got to show up on Wednesday ready to go. Um, I think that mindset might be more important to some extent than saying, hey, we built some confidence. I think guys should have confidence in what they're doing. Hopefully they did before we won the game. Um, 
And I don't want it to have too much confidence moving forward. I think that's going to be a, a big message this week is, hey, it's a new week in the NFL, and it's a week-to-week league, so we got to show up and practice and prepare just like we did the week before, and that's going to be true the rest of the season. Anything surprise you about Josh's performance, especially you know, this past weekend, or this is what you expected once he got comfortable? Yeah, I think that you're seeing who Josh is, and he's the same guy every week. So I wouldn't say I was surprised. Certainly it's nice to see it on a, you know, a stage like that, uh, but that's kind of what I expect from him. He's unfazed, prepared, ready to go at all times. The situation is never too big for him, so was excited to see him go out there and have success. What goes through your head when you see him take off like he did on that run? Don't get hurt. <laughs> no, it's, you know, the first thing is score. Like, hey, can he get to the, you know. But I think it was obviously when he pulled it and saw he had some space. And, you know, to, to the surprise might have been kind of that extra gear he kind of turned on there as he went down the sideline. Like, you know he can run and he's fast, but really to see him open up was kind of exciting. Um, and then there is definitely a part of you which is like, hey, man, just like step out of bounds. <laughs> um, but, no, it was uh, obviously a great play by him. Are you with your red zone offense? Two, three games. Yeah, the, uh, that's a great question. I think there's some things we've done really well down there. I think there's some room for improvement. You know, anytime we kick a field goal, I'm going to say, hey, we, we gave up four points. We're happy we scored, but we left some points on the field. And trying to look critically at why. You know, was it scheme? Was it technique? Was it execution? To make sure that we're addressing those things as we go through the course of the year so that, hey, in a perfect world, we're scoring a touchdown every time we get there. Realistically, that probably won't happen, but we have to understand why to make sure we're maximizing our opportunities when we get down there. So I think we've done some really good things down there. I think there's certainly room for improvement, though. Well, uh, last week's game was the first game where um, – the Cardinals had um, a better um, red zone percentage than uh, their opponent. Now, unfortunately, and this is one thing that you know you can add to uh, Drew Petzing saying, "Hey, they got things to work on." Is yes, they were hundred percent two from two in the red zone. Really, all that means is, you know, from the 20-yard line to the red zone, or to the uh, to the end zone, excuse me. And th- that's the red zone. Um, so you can look at it two ways. All right, they're 100%, got touchdowns out of that. Um, or you can say, hey, they need to get better at getting to the red zone, and then when they get there, getting six. So last week they were 100% when they got there, but they need to get there more. So, um, see, uh, Dallas um, got there more times, but wasn't as efficient. Um, And so you kind of take the good with the bad on that. And, um, and, you know, obviously it's good to have a guy like Matt Prater, but – uh, as he said, anytime you're kicking field goals, instead of having touchdowns, you're leaving potentially four points, maybe um, maybe five if you, depending on the situation, you need to go for two um, on the board. And uh, um, kicking field goals all day uh, does not win you many games traded for Josh. I know you had other quarterbacks here. You're still trying to figure out. But in your head, 
just how you were thinking. Were you thinking he was going to end up being the starter when you guys got started? I mean, honestly, no. And I think I've said this about that position, said about a number of positions. We're going to put whoever gives us the best chance to win on the field. You know, so when we got him, certainly I knew a little bit about him as a person, as a player, what he brought to the table. But I still believe in the other guys in that room. Uh, and that's true in a lot of those rooms. Like, hey, there are guys on the field right now that are playing, not because I don't believe in the guy behind him. I just think the guy that's out there on the field gives us the best opportunity to win. Um, and I think that's the mindset you have to continue to take in every room throughout the course of a season, throughout the course of a year. Um, so was excited to see him win that opportunity and, and earn that opportunity, but I don't think that was a predetermined conclusion. No. Three games without an interception for him. Huge. I mean, certainly, you know, one of the things that we stress as a team, as an offense, is we are about the ball. So you have to take care of the ball, whether it's in terms of Quarterback center exchange, handoffs, running with it, and certainly decision making and, and accuracy in the passing game is a huge part of that. Uh, so need to continue to emphasize that, and uh, but really happy with that. This is the most complete game, but through three games, I mean, the first half has been where the offense has really been consistently strong. The second half, are you noticing is that more execution from your offense, or is it adjustments being made by your opponents more so? And like, what are you noticing? That's the difference between the, the halves. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's something we need to continue to look at. It's such a small sample size, too, that I don't want to overreact to say, hey, we're doing something different or doing something wrong, and we need to change who we are. Um, so we've certainly taken a look at those situations. I think it's a combination of a number of the things that you just said. And some of it's the situation you end up in the football game. You know, sometimes you're backed up. Sometimes you a penalty puts you behind the sticks. Things like that come up that can make it hard. And I think our emphasis in the room has been, hey, here are the things that are stopping us. Here, this is why it was execution on this play. Hey, this is scheme related. This isn't a great call. Or, hey, we can't have this penalty, and this is why it's hard to overcome the 10-yard penalty and getting behind the sticks so, uh, and getting into the third and longs that we've tried to avoid. You know? So I think some of it, it's a little bit of both. Like, they're good, too. You know, they're they're going to say, hey, why are we giving up so many points in the first half? Um, so I think we need to stay aware of that, but I also don't want to overreact to it yet. Mentioned being emotional. There was probably no one more emotional after the game than Monty. As you were coming off, what did you get? Did you get a you get a shoulder slap? A hug? What, what did you? I get? think I got all of the above. I wasn't. It was just kind of a whirlwind. Um, you know, it was it was awesome to see him excited like that. Obviously, he's put so much time and effort into everything that we do as an organization, and uh, was really excited for him. And it was it was fun to be a part of. What has it been like for you? Your first three games of play caller to watch the offense, kind of get better and better, but put up 20 points two weeks in a row in the first half, kind of play at the level of two. Honestly, I, you know, you work so hard with these guys, and you know what they put into it and what's required of them as players. So to watch them go out there and have that success, it's uh, – I wouldn't say, like, proud is the right word, but there's a sense of just, like, happiness for them, of just watching them go out there and do what they love, do it at a high level, uh, because I do believe in those guys, and they work so hard at it. Uh, so to see them have that success has been a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. 69-yard passing catch with Michael Wilson. He's so wide open. You see the Boston coverage. You see him just get that much open space. Is that what it's all about as a play caller? Uh, yes and no. Honestly, it's it's all of it. Like it's the little things. It's finishing the game with the ball in four minute and running out the clock and being able to take a knee. It's watching guys, you know, doing something we did in practice and correct it and say, hey, this isn't. We can't do it this way. This is why. And then go and see them do it the right way in the game. You know, I think it's all those little moments that kind of make it fun and make it enjoyable. And certainly, when you have success on the scoreboard, it makes it that much more fun. Um, but yeah. Part of that was the third and one push play. Did, did Jonathan suggest that, or has that been part of what you guys have been planning for? 
A little bit of both. I mean, Jonathan does a great job of kind of communicating with me on terms of what he's seen from the other side of the ball, around the league, things that have been hard on them. You know, certainly that's a play that, that people have struggled to stop. And if it shows up enough, we got to, you know, give our try at it and see if we're good at it. So it was great to see those guys go out and execute it in a critical situation. Clear to you what the offensive line is doing to help James on the running game and then maybe address some of the challenges you're going to face with San Francisco. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, that the offensive line has really done a great job. I mean, I think they've embraced the role, the offense, uh, how we want to play the game, and certainly their success is our success. You know, generally speaking, offense goes as the O-line goes. I've always thought that, whether it's pass game or run game. So uh, to see our success, it, a lot of it goes directly through them. Um, and then to the second part of the question, San Francisco, it's going to be a big challenge. I mean, it's a great front, uh, really a great 11, but certainly a great front four, great front seven. Um, so our guys are going to have to prepare hard, be ready to go, and make sure they know what's coming because it's it's going to be a fight. Going off your point about the O-line, DJ Humphrey said after the game that yelled for a hold kind of kept the group together. How valuable has 72 been to the production of the offense? Huge. Yeah, he's done a really nice job. I think that's a position uh, where the physical aspect and the mental aspect probably is a little bit underestimated at times. You know, certainly there's a lot that goes into playing center from a from a physical standpoint, but the mental aspect of what you're doing on the field from a communication standpoint, not just with the O-line, with the quarterback, with the running backs, with everyone involved in the run game and protections, and then that carries over to the sideline. You know, just his leadership, um, his calmness, the way he handles himself, I think it really does help that group as a whole. With the challenge of the Niners this week, how much did you allow yourself to enjoy the win? How long did it take? Sunday night. Yeah, you know, I had a couple people say, "Hey, you got to enjoy this one." But like, yeah, I'm gonna. I got a couple hours. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna watch it again. And then, really, even before I went to bed, I needed to start peeking at the next opponent. You know, it's it's the it's the hardest part about the league when you win, and probably the best part about it when you lose. It's like you can't worry about it. You got to worry about the next one. So we jumped right into it, briefly Sunday night, and then when we came in on Monday morning, put the game to bed and got rolling. Was there any concern when it was a five point game in the fourth quarter? And of course, you had the going for the two the first time after the penalty and then chasing the point the next time. Is there any concern that, oh, my goodness, that might come back to us? No, I think at any time, and this is true when you're going to make decisions in football, I think in a lot of areas, and this is obviously harder on the head coach than it is on the offensive coordinator, but you have to do what's right in the moment regardless of the outcome, right? And I've always said that, and that's a big part of analytics. Like, if it's 60-40, you got to choose 60 every time. Four out of ten times, you're going to be wrong. And you can't look back and say, I made the wrong decision. It didn't work. I should have done the other thing. You said, no, I went with the right decision and the outcome wasn't what I wanted, i got to be willing to make that decision again. So I don't think at any point during the game you can look back and say, hey, we could have, should have. It's about, hey, we're in a five-point game. This is what we got to do moving forward, and that's where it's got to be. With Yelda, it's the same as with Josh, where you knew something that the rest of us didn't know about how well he could play if given the opportunity. Uh, yes and no. I mean, certainly I had a more familiarity with him, but I think he's really come in and surprised me and surprised himself, surprised his teammates and the way he's handled it and, and kind of the way he's earned that role and taken over that role. Uh, he's done a really nice job with it. I think it speaks a lot more to him than it does anything I knew or anything I thought about. What are your thoughts on Matt Prater's ability to keep booting him in 50? Yeah, that was impressive, uh, to, to say the least. You know, I, I wasn't exactly sure what yard line we got to. I knew it wasn't a short kick and kind of started walking to the locker room. And when I saw the thing go over the goalpost, I was uh, – it, it's impressive. I and mean, there's not a lot of guys in the league who can do that. 62 yards was that kick. Just absolutely phenomenal. Can't wait to see if and what uh, Jeff Rogers has to say. We'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, let's hear from uh, Nick Rollis. Who, he, you know, defense has been pretty consistent. Um, and uh, so, you know, kind of the stars of the show, if you will, 
um, and was for this last game if, if, as far as the takeaway in the end zone goes. Um, but let's let's hear you know what his thoughts on the game and, and kind of uh, the 49ers moving forward. that was kind of the ultimate showing of that with them continually getting inside. I mean, how do you take that as a coordinator? Hey, they don't get in the end zone. Is that good enough? Or are you disappointed they got inside the red zone? So um, yeah, point, if you score more points than the other team, you usually win the game. So that, I mean, that is the key is ultimately keep them out of the end zone. Now, you, you don't want you want your offense on the field. You don't want long drives. Um, you don't want explosive. You don't want fast drives. You, you don't want them to come away with points. Um, but I was pleased with, obviously, how we played in the red zone. That was critical to the game. I don't know if you ever go into a game saying, hey, let's bend but not break, right? Because red zone defense is not, is not easy. And, and you know, hats out to the players. They did a good job executing it. Um, but yeah, that's what we needed to do to win that game, and that's how that game played out. And I was I was happy with with the red zone. It was a big reverse from the week before when the Giants got down there and scored touchdown almost every time, and then of course the field goal at the end. But was there any difference, or is it just again just coming down the players making plays? Yeah, I think you know, like after a week of one more week of preparation and our preparation going into Dallas, like we executed better in the red zone. Um, and that was that was huge, you know, from, you know, honestly, the first two weeks, it wasn't really what you want to be in the red zone. Um, even going back to, you know, Washington, quarterback got out of the pocket, scrambled for a touchdown, scrambled and threw a touchdown. Um, so I was pleased with the, with the players and us coaches, maybe coached it a little bit better, had a little bit better plan. Um, but the red zone defense was obviously improved from week one and week two. How do you go about doing the things you want to do when guys are dropping like flies in terms of injuries and losing the defensive lineman and then Zayvon goes down and then Chris goes down. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? I know it's next man up, but when, yeah. we're, when we're talking about building something for the personnel you have and then you don't have that personnel. Yeah, I mean, you, if you have something built very specifically for, for personnel, you, you better have a backup plan going into the game, right? And... Um, that's always discussed of, I always, I always use the term if this guy's shoe comes off, right? Because, you know, you're not, you don't want to talk about injuries, but that, that happens. And, you know, wait, what's our plan if this guy's shoe comes off? Um, and so you, you, you talk about, you have a shoe plan. I'm just going to start calling it the shoe plan. You got to have a shoe plan. Um, and sometimes it's, it's significant and sometimes it's okay, here we go. The next guy's in like, we're running. We know we, these are the calls that we wanted in this situation. Like, feel great. Let's go. Let's go execute it with who's in the game. So it can depend, um, not on the game, on the situation within the game. You know, what's your maybe it's the third down plan's got to change, but the first second down plan is is consistent. So the the key is that you do have a plan when their shoe comes off. How's your shoe collection this week looking? <laughs> My shoe collection this week. Um. That it took me a second to figure out what you were getting at right there. <laughs> I started thinking about my shoes. Gosh, my shoes are are dirty. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel good with the guys we have ready to go. Like I've I've talked about this a lot. Um, there's there's good depth on this defense, and I feel very comfortable with a lot of people stepping into play. So um, I don't I don't feel any type of way about it. I'm I'm confident. Do you know who's getting 
a lot of attention. What have you made so far from his growth from week to week and just how he has continued to? Yeah, I think number one is he he is a fighter. He will battle, you know. Um, I, I, t I talked to him about this. He plays the toughest position on defense, and you're on an, you're on an island out there, a corner. You're on a, what we call it the highway, and it's, it's very easy to get discouraged because you might play um, in a 65-play game, 63 great snaps, and you have two bad snaps, and everybody knows about it, right? And to have that resiliency is very important at that position, and he's very resilient. So I appreciate that with him. And then I do see some improvements throughout his game, like his press technique to me is, it got a lot better this past game. And um, he knows he needs to continue on with, with some other elements of his, of his coverage, but he's continuing to improve every week he is. And he's got the mindset to, to continue to do that throughout the season. There are other packages with all the outside linebackers playing in the front when you, got, you have so many injuries. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we talk about being versatile, being adaptable. That personnel is a is part of that, right? Um, and that's kind of like when we first got here, you know, is what is what's best for this defense. And then now, like, do you structure it in a way that you can change it week to week if you need to, right? Um, depending on what your sh shoe collection looks like. <laughs> and um, that that's 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 a big that's thought out in advance of, and you know, I credit to to JG, he's shaped my mind to think this way of it. You need to have a, a structure where you can change pieces around. And it doesn't feel like to the players, man, like what is this brand new defense? It's OK, it's being pitched to me like this. But conceptually, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do in my job. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's important. When did you come up with all of that? Was it did you have that in your head, like coming into Arizona, or did you see what you were working with in terms of personnel? And be like, hey, we have all these guys; we can utilize them in all these different. Yeah, I mean, both. Like, I think you're you acquire knowledge over time and have ideas of different ways to do it. To me, the more the bigger your knowledge is, the bigger your knowledge pool is, the more you can draw different concepts and what fits what we do, and then. Obviously, when you when you first get here, you got to assess who you have and what you want to do with it. But then also using the entire staff, right? Because they're going to have knowledge that I don't have, and that's what I was very adamant about when I put the staff together. And me and JG put the staff together is got to have guys that are very knowledgeable and bring other things to the table. And so every every person on my staff is very important with bringing um, ideas tactically, technically to the table to fit the pieces of the puzzle and be adaptable, whether that was on the forefront back in the off season or week to week, what do we got to change? Still we got in there and so I'm wondering what you saw from him and then also what did it mean to have Lecky back? Yeah, um, Ben, I'll just comment on Ben. He is one of the smartest players I've ever been with. So um, when he's in there, he has a great sense of what plays are coming, and then when he comes off, hey, this this happened, this was an issue. He's very, very good with his communication to the coaches on what we need to do to adapt in the run game, in the pass rush. And to me, he is a he is a strong run defender, and he came in and did a really good job there. And then having Lucky back was was obviously really important for us. You know, um, Lucky can push pocket in the pass rush, and he can hold double teams, he can win one-on-one -on -one blocks in the run game. So 
Um, he's doing a good job of kind of playing a lot of different spots up front. If you can contain McCaffrey, which is not easy, but if you're able to kind of keep him reasonably contained, what else do you have to worry about the Niners? You're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to order if Debo and all those other guys are pretty good too. Yeah, they're, they got a lot of good skill players. Um, so your question is, if I contain McCaffrey, what <laughs> what's next? Yeah, I think I think they do a really good job overall at using their personnel in multiple ways, right? It's the offense allows different guys to get touches from different spots, right? And um, they do a good job of getting the the guys that can really make it go their touches, but you see other guys getting touches as well. Um, it, they present issues structurally because you don't know where guys are going to be, and you don't you you can say you want to take away a guy or not, but you have no idea where that guy could align. And they do a really good job of that of just changing their pieces around. But I'm sure to their players, their players, it's it's simple in their mind if I had to guess, because and you can judge that based on they execute at a high level. Um, so yeah, you got to be able to adapt to how they're deploying it differently, and you definitely got to try to not let those playmakers get going. They got a lot of them. Drew mentioned that the, the win was emotional, the first one for the staff. Um, how long did you celebrate it? How did you celebrate it? And when did you kind of turn the page? Um, yeah, I, I would say I turned the page pretty quick um, because I know this this opponent we have coming up was is a really good opponent. So obviously celebrating in the locker room, uh, enjoyed that moment. I was happy for JG and Monique in their first win happy for the players it was good to get that win under our belt um but i i showered pretty quickly and i got in the car and i i went home and i was ready to to start pressing on to the next week Ronnie, and he was celebrating there before getting to the locker room yeah what what, what did you get from him as you were a hug out? a big hug yeah well it was probably like a dap up hug like a ha ah so yeah he was into it i loved that he was he was there Tapping over everybody, you could see he was he was excited about it. Um, JG probably hit his hit his excitement a little bit more than Monty did, but I know the whole team. Obviously, a big win for the team, right? And um, I was I was happy to see people in the locker room and enthused and and juiced up about it. Not to take away from the other opponents, but with San Francisco, a team that has arguably top players in each of their positions with Debo, McCaffrey, Kittle. I mean, Purdy's been playing pretty well. I mean, is it almost overwhelming of, okay, how do I game plan when you can't just take away one player because they've got still so many others they can rely on? Yeah, I think they've done a good job of building their personnel to what they want to do offensively. Um, so good players across the board coupled with a really good scheme, it, it definitely presents a challenge. And... Um, you know, that's it's on us throughout the week now to put the right plan together to get the players prepared. Um, we got to get the players executing the scheme and technique at a high level because not only is, is their scheme good, but they're good at blocking, they're good with the ball in their hands, they're, they play hard. I know they pride themselves on playing, played hard, playing physical, playing violent, just like we do. So um, there's multiple layers to playing these guys that you have to bring your A game in all those all those spots. I know that uh, obviously Purdy didn't make it real far in when you guys played him last year in the playoffs because of the injury, but you always see, obviously had to prepare for this <laughs> offense. Uh, 
all that week. Does that feel recent enough where you feel like you can get something out of that in terms of what you had to go through prepping for that game? Yeah. Um, you know, this this offense is, is really good. And I would say probably for the past five years, I, I look at this offense every offseason, regardless of if they're on the schedule or not. So, um, you know, last year we played them in the – when I was in Philly, we played them in championship game. Um, I actually – I actually put a study together on them in the off season just because anything they're running and it starts working, you're going to see it around the league anyways, you know? So um, there's definitely the, just my understanding or of what they do, um, you know, that carries over into um, this week. And, you know, that, that game plan, obviously, um, there is some carryover from what we do, what we do, and what we did in Philly, and what we do here, as far as you know, when an offense like them is very multiple, it can do a lot of things. You have to keep things simple for yourself and be able to execute your staples. And so, you know, we're always going to be able to say, "Hey, this is what we do," and we have to be able to go out and do it against these guys. So, yeah, there's definitely carryover week to week. I'm sorry, sorry to yeah, go ahead. When Zayvon came out with the eye, he's PJ and Victor, kind of like a rotation. Is that how you did it? Yeah, you know that. Like we talk about, those guys are on the front, right? Those guys are on the the outside backers front part of the D line. Outside backers, everyone's playing. So um, you know, we had we had six of them up. All six were playing. It became it became five. All five were rotating. I let I let our the position coaches handle those rotations um, throughout the game, and that's what we thought was was the best way to keep them fresh. And and the, those guys were playing good, and we kept them rolling in. What do you say to eyes to you, eye to you? And you've seen them, I'm sure, since the game. Does it look like good for him? I'm not much of an eye doctor. Um, no, you uh, you'd have to ask JG about that. Those injuries, yeah. What do you see from Purdy? It's allowed him to yep. achieve at the level that he has. I think he fits exactly what they're trying to do very well. Um, as far as being able to process and throw the ball on time, he's he's as good as it gets. You know, they when he's going through his progressions and he knows that they have this first progression up versus certain coverage. If he has it, ball's getting out of his hand, and if he doesn't have it. To the naked eye, you would never have thought he even looked over to that side because you read the coverage that fast. And what it does is it keeps it keeps that offense in rhythm to where he's getting the ball out of his hand. He's not taking a lot of sacks. He's not getting strip sacked. And what it does when you're going through your progressions and you get the ball out on time is on that second and third progression, the ball is hitting his receiver's hands in stride, which is what they're really good at, right? The yards after the catch. And so he's doing a great job of staying on time within that offense, being able to read where he's got to go with the football and getting it to guys where they're in the right, it's in the right spot on them so that they can continue upfield and, and split too. So um, he, he does that, I think, very well, along with being an accurate guy and then also a guy when stuff goes bad and it breaks down, he, he can escape. You know, he's mobile and um, you got to account for all that with playing him. So he's doing a heck of a job. You were talking about Keytrail being a fighter. Marco had his struggles at the end of the Giants game. How did he bounce back last week? Bounced back really well. I thought he had a, I, play, I thought he played a really good game. 
A um, couple things that he knows that he could probably get better at. A uh, couple probably tackles he'd want back. But overall, very pleased with Marco's performance. Yeah. Cam Thomas a little bit late there. And how big was that tackle for loss when they were down at the five? Cam did a great job at the end of the game. It was huge. He had a couple, couple big plays that just kept them from you know, continue to get closer to the goal line and, and put them in a little bit third and a little bit longer, um, give us a little bit of breathing room, which led to, you know, Kaiser making that play. So I was very pleased with that. Cam plays extremely hard, and he, he, he fought to the end there, which was made some critical plays. Um, I talked to Cam today. I told him I like the way he's been rushing. You know, he's rushing consistent, whether the stat sheet shows it or not. He's doing a good job of pushing that pocket back and, and getting on the quarterback's lap. Well, he, Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon. Yeah. Um, you said earlier that he kind of hit his emotion after the win. With how upbeat he always is, why do you think that kind of we saw that change from him after such a big moment in his career and his life? Well, uh, JG's never really been super emotional on game day. You know what I'm saying? Now, he is a very upbeat personality. Um, I think I would even say that's kind of similar to how I get on, on game day. You're so locked in on just your performance. It's hard to go from being extremely rational and just focus on decision making to like whippy, like, you know? So um, I think part of it, part of it is definitely that as far as like, that's hard to actually turn back on. And I think JG is, is highly emotionally intelligent to where he does not let emotions affect his decisions on game day or, you know, in the office uh, throughout the week. So I think that's probably, if I had to guess, you know, you say, I know him, I do know him pretty well. Um, very similar to me of like, yeah, yeah, we won, good job. Yep, yep. Oh, here's Monty, Monty's really excited, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Better dap him up. Well, we've seen guys being used in a lot of different ways, maybe not how they were used previously. Uh, what, what goes into that as a staff? Uh, you know, I mean, how far back does that go? In it? Yeah, I mean, OTAs and training camp, we talk about, you know, one of the, important things is to evaluate and you're not just evaluating who's going to make the 53 practice squad anything like that you're evaluating how you can use guys right and so um you don't necessarily know that purely off of watching last year's tape whether the guy was was here with the cardinals or was a free agent or a college player um because maybe they weren't used in that that way um with whoever wherever they were last and so you have to get you have to let kind of guys just play football um not try to do too much early on in training camp to where you're pigeonholing guys into roles and see what they really can do see if they improve in certain spots and then from there assess hey maybe we could use this person in this type of role um so that's how roles roles are forever changing you know what i'm saying uh whether that's through training camp otas during the season um, and so you can, you kind of have to let guys show you what they can do before you really give them a, a role. You mentioned talking about Marco. Was there, did you breathe a big sigh of relief when they picked up that flag for the DPI? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, honestly, in that moment, you're just sitting there. I want to know the answer more than I really even like I'm thinking about like, oh, I hope for this result because it's like I need to know like are they is this ball going to be at the one yard line? Like I need to know what defense I'm about to get into here or are they picking it up and I'm playing wherever the wherever it was at, before, you know, 
their previous play. So that's constantly where my mind is going in that situation. Um, uh, it's it's not thinking about give me this result or oh no, not that result. But it's it's more of if this is the result, what do I have to do here? If this is the result, what do I have to do here? Honestly, that's a lot to think about. You know, it, it real quick, like. I mean, because those decisions, some, some sometimes they're quick, sometimes, you know, the, they're they're not like you know they kind of know what they're gonna do. But if we're reviewing it, it's like the anticipation is even longer, and I've never really thought about that before. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, you you hope for the result that favors you a little bit more, but it does make sense. So it's like, all right, I just need an answer. Like, you know, good, bad, whatever. Let me know what, what's going on and what you guys, uh, um, get to at the end because I got, I need to know what I'm doing. I, I, you know, like I said, I never thought about that before. I, I imagine that's very, very important. Oh gosh! Yeah, no, I'm not the I'm not the uh, officials. I, I'm not. I'll I'll leave that for for people that study. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot that goes into officiating a game. That's that's not my expertise. Shanahan's scheme that you study. We've heard a lot of Cardinals defenders in the past say that offense keeps them honest. What do they mean by that? <laughs> I didn't say that. Players have said it keeps them honest and like and it'll ungap the defense. Just that Shanahan scheme. So, I mean, just uh, what have you seen out of that scheme that maybe is unique to them? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, – I don't know about – I don't know about the honest uh, comment, but, like, they do a really good job of everything complements. And then on top of that, adding, you know, the, the right personnel into what they want to do, um, whether that's their outside zone schemes, they do a great job of – being able to manipulate points, to buy angles in the run game, use motion, um, change their combinations up, all of that. And then on top of that, now all of a sudden they come back to some gap scheme and it's going to look very similar. You know what I'm saying? On the backside, they're they're deucing it to where they're taking off. Oh, here goes outside zone again. And then they're washing you down, increasing you. So um, I think what they probably mean when they say honest is you can't just bank them for one thing because everything complements very well. And then on top of all those run actions comes the nakeds, the play actions, shots. Um, so they do a good job of, you know, hiding it all. You can't tell what's coming, and it all looks the same. So that's probably what, they, what they're getting at. All right. And uh, we'll go last but not least, uh, Jeff Rogers. Are you surprised at any that anything Matt Prater does at this point, like from that distance? Nope. <laughs> no, I, we we watch every week. Been around him for a long time, and we know what his capabilities are. And it obviously takes the right situation to for have for, uh, to have him attempt that. But you know, we've got kind of a line every game where we feel comfortable in all situations, where we feel comfortable longer down in distances, before the half, before the game, are you up, you down, or you, is it tied? Um, and all that plays into it. But Matt's certainly capable of a lot. Conversations, I'm sure, like most players, pretty confident. If I can do it, I can do it. How do you balance that of 
that's really far, you know, we don't need to test it and being like, okay, let's, let's see if you can do it. Yeah, well, ultimately it's the head coach's decision on what he feels like is right. Um, I've studied that stuff for a long time and, and some of the more successful teams, what they do within those down and distances and field position, um, that weighs into it. But, uh, you know, we're never going to put Matt in a situation where we feel like he can't be successful. So that's kind of where it starts to be capable of it. Now the conversation starts. And um, you know, like I said, ultimately, JG is going to make that decision. He said it felt horrible off his foot when he swung through it. But I noticed you guys had a long conversation going into the tunnel right after that. What did, what did you guys talk about? Yeah, he alluded to it. It didn't you know, feel the best off his foot. I said it went, went through the yellow upright, so <laughs> we're good. Um, now, there wasn't a whole lot of technical stuff we were talking about there, just you know, good moment for him, good moment for our team. What, what did you think when it left his foot? Did you think it had a chance? Sure. I mean, anything that Matt kicks has a chance. Um, it, it came off lower than what some of his other kicks. Like, was it Minnesota he hit the 62-yarder last year two years ago? Like, that looked like one of his normal kicks. He doesn't have to change trajectory. He doesn't change footwork. He's just got that kind of power in his leg. Look back at the film and you see the laces are in, and like that's I assume that's just going to happen sometimes, right? Given the, the operation, or as a coach, are you like, we really can't have that happen. I mean, it's not ideal, but Matt can overcome some things. Um, I've always thought when you have a really good field, field goal kicker, you've really got I have to really coach the holder, the snapper, the protection group, because without all those things happening, um. It's hard to make those kicks, kind of overcome those things. But we did in that instance, and um, you know, you hope you're more consistent going forward. With all those, all those 50 pluses, doesn't it take more than just a strong way to be that good at what he's done over the course of his career? Absolutely. What, what, is, what else besides a strong way do you need as a kicker to do that? 72 kicks over 50? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it starts with leg strength, right? Because you're not going to attempt anything that you don't think you have a chance at. Um, Matt's just, he's, he's accurate from, from distance. And that's what the history shows. And I think that gives the head coach confident, confidence that that's something that we should entertain. Uh, I think that gives Matt confidence that that's something that uh, he's very capable of. And, and the guys that are supporting him, blocking for him, I think they know if we do our job, he's going to do his. Dorch return to start that sequence. Do you think that Drew and, and Jonathan want to go for even trying to get in field goal range? Because that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't know. Like in my mind, their punter's really good, and uh, they have a good gunner, and that guy's good at hang time. That guy's good at direction. So that ball is the ball I expected to see. It's a five-second hang time at 50 yards. So. You know, the decision was made initially, should we be in a situation where we try to pressure or should we try a return here? Um, and we ultimately chose the return because it was like, we have to get this thing started. When you're pressuring, you put eight guys in the box. Generally speaking, if the punter puts a ball in a certain place, it's going to be a dead play. So that's kind of where it starts. Uh, the next thing is, what does it look like after that play? Um, fortunately for us, Dorch has a 17-yard return. It's a 31-net punt, but it did burn 12 seconds. Fortunately for us, they decided to jump off sides twice, which saved us timeouts. Uh, in that situation, a couple guys made good plays, and 
we got into that range that we felt felt comfortable. So, um, you know, sometimes I've, I've been in situations like, hey, we've got to get to the 35-yard line to, you know, have a chance of this. That's nine more yards, um, which may or may not happen in that situation. But you do the best you can to put yourself in the positions where you're going to score points, and um, we were successful there. You talked about figuring out the line based on situation. Is that line the same? Oh, if not, how different, like how far apart are they usually? And then what is the process to going into, going in, that goes into you talking to Matt about where he feels comfortable in free game? I've got a pretty good idea if we're playing indoors what all of those things are going to say. Now, you don't know the situation of the game, but uh, we've got enough experience together to um, – they're not long conversations. And honestly, Matt's attitude with most of the stuff is like – I'm ready to kick, so you just tell me. Um, it, it'll vary. It can vary in a game. You know, you start off and, you know, the conditions are calm and, you know, it's not below 50 degrees and, you know, the weather changes all of a sudden. Well, you've got to update those, those things accordingly and be able to relay that communication to the head coach and the offense play caller so they know kind of what we're looking at. You don't want them to come to the sideline and say, if I'd have known I just needed two more yards, we would have done this or whatever. So we try and stay in communication with that. Right before the, the Michael Wilson play, Greg returned to the kickoff. And I think it was from about two or three yards deep. Mm -hmm. Is that an area where you're comfortable with him doing that? Or was it the game situation that you felt you were hoping Maybe to get some extra yards. Yeah, I didn't think he was too deep to say, boy, what an interesting decision that was. Um, I thought he could have done either one in, in that situation. He could have touched it back or we could have returned it. I learned this when I was in Denver, and you're playing at altitude. And I was there for four years. And what happens is everybody's kicking touchbacks against you. You're kicking touchbacks against other people, and that's not reality when you get late in the year, when it's November and it's December and you're playing in adverse conditions. So I'm okay with us, you know, covering a kickoff, returning a kickoff so our guys can get some experience so we can coach that part of it because other teams that play in that stuff all the time, when there's wind and there's weather, they're getting six more weeks of return balls in those situations than, than we are. Um, so you got to kind of pick and choose when you want to do those things. I wasn't disappointed with Greg's decision there. I think he got to the 24, touchbacks to 25. We could have done better on that play, but um, I was okay with that decision. Huh. A lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of insight. And I've, you, you get the feeling that when he's at the podium, the questions are questions about operation because it, like special teams is such an interesting animal that you just really don't know how feel like most don't really know a whole heck of a lot about it. Um, but anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Arizona sports and their YouTube page and, and just kind of, you know, what this win does for the uh, Arizona Cardinals uh, going forward. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
There is a four-letter word that is essential if you're going to coach a football team or run a Fortune 500 company. H-I-R-E, hire. You have to be able to hire the right people. And of all the things that Jonathan Gannon has done well, this is at the top of his list. Nick Rollis looks like a rising star at defensive coordinator. Just look at the red zone struggles of the Cowboys on Sunday. Look at how well the Cardinals defenders knew the Cowboys' tendencies and their preferred passing routes. It's incredibly impressive given the lack of star power on that side of the roster. Now, the other coordinator took all of three games to prove his scheme is 10 times better than Cliff Kingsbury and Drew Petzing's offense has already produced eight runs of 20 or more yards. They had nine all of last season. And then there's Gannon, who has been the subject of vitriol and mockery accused of betrayal and unethical behavior three games in and he is changing that narrative folks and respect is coming maybe it's in drips and drabs but it's coming the cardinals are no longer considered the worst team in football a designation they never deserved they are being praised in some circles for their grit and their fight and their commitment to the new head coach and the proof is right there on the field where the cardinals have come out swinging in each of their first three games leading all of them entering the fourth quarter the downside is these football games are going to get even more difficult for the cardinals because no one looks at them like a speed bump or a punchline anymore the bar of expectations is no longer down on the floor with the peanut shells and that is a very encouraging turn of events all right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. Find them online at chapmanbmw.com. I would say our attitude, honestly, you know, going into half, you know, being up where we've been up twice now, um, I thought that the attitude was a slight different tone in the locker room. I made sure that they knew about it. And then, you know, what did we need to do to win the game in the second half from all three phases, each individually? And then, you know, as we took some shots there in the in the second half, they, they got kind of got back into the game. And, you know, then we go three and out or however that came. I felt I thought that we were a resilient group yesterday. And uh, guys stepped up and executed and made plays when they needed to to win the game. Jonathan Gannon uh, yesterday at his uh, press conference on the most impressive thing he saw yesterday, attitude. Look, there was a time in that third quarter uh, on, on Sunday, Bick, where it looked like maybe the Cardinals were going to go into that offensive shell again uh, like they did in the Giants game, which ended up costing them the game mm -hmm. in part. I mean, obviously the defensive failings had something to do with that as well, but it was really just a, a, a one-possession stall as opposed to an absolute shutdown. They got back to being aggressive. You mentioned the, the chunk plays. I didn't know that stat on the 20-yard runs. Nobody's got more 20-yard runs in the NFL this year than James Conner. And, and just think about all those plays with the previous regime that had no chance of working. All those plays where it seemed like the de defense knew exactly what was coming. And, and, you, and you see right away... The difference between the two. Now, again, it's three games in, and, and you, you don't want to, to you know, assume too much at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But, look, I, if for a coaching staff that I called impossibly young, the results are in, incredibly impressive yeah. and incredibly encouraging. I, I, I can't disagree with you. And you also mentioned respect, even if it's coming in drips and drabs, uh, to the Cardinals. 
And I think that's an accurate way to put it. But it is it is coming in. Not mm-hmm. from everywhere, though. Micah Parsons, who was not a big factor in Sunday's game, uh, did have a sack, did have a, a few tackles in the game, but he was one of the players that spoke in the Cowboys locker room after the game. And he kind of feels like, hey, this wasn't a Cardinals win as much as it was a Cowboys loss. This is the tough part about playing in the National Football League. Every team has his day. You know, um, the last two weeks we was light on fire, and today we came out and we got lit. And that's just the reality of football. And, you know, and you look across the league, it happened to a couple teams. You know, reality sets in. You look at the Chiefs, everyone thought the Chiefs would go out and blow out the Lions. The Lions came out lit and fired up. So um, the reality is we got taken every game is like the Super Bowl. And we got to play up to our standard. We can't play down to teams, and I felt like that's what we did today. Feels like they played down to a team in the in the Cardinals, which, again, is is kind of contradictory for mm-hmm. Micah Parsons to say that because he starts. That's the difficult part of playing in the NFL is that every team has its day. Well, if you're aware of that, then maybe you just got your butt kicked for 60 minutes. Yeah, and what does it say about you as a serious football team, given the fact that you're the Dallas Cowboys and you've had a lot of these issues in the past? I mean, you're coming— say much. Well, it doesn't say much at all. You're coming off a a playoff loss that people were like, ew, you, you don't have any right. You don't have a license to look past anybody, especially no. when people are 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 anointing you and and putting you at the top of power rankings. Mm-hmm. That that speaks that speaks poorly of that football team well, and that coach. So you know what? I I just yeah I, I I don't blame Micah Parsons for feeling that way. I think the Cowboys. You, you want to rationalize that. You always want to say it's not them. It's us. We that's on us. Well, you know, not really. No, there's not a, really. Look. It got very frustrating for the Cardinals fan base to hear its head coach for you know two or three years always tipping its cap to the opponent for having a better plan. Mm-hmm. That got old, but in a situation like that, we again acknowledge any team could beat any other team, but that was on us. We played down to them. If I'm a Cowboys fan, I don't want to hear that crap because that's what they've heard for 30-plus exactly. years since exactly. they last won a Super Bowl. Uh, Rex Ryan, former NFL coach, now with ESPN, is one of those media members who hasn't always been the most respectful toward the Cardinals franchise. Mm-hmm. But he really took exception to Micah Parsons' comments uh, toward the Cardinals on, on yesterday's Get Up program. That's total BS, man. I mean, you just got pummeled by that team. I mean, they whipped your tail in all over the field mm-hmm. right there, and you're going to show lack of respect? Well, guess what's going to happen again? You're going to get your ass kicked again by them if you play them again because they're going to be like, oh, really? Oh, well, you thought that was bad? Wait till this ass whipping. And to me, that was total disrespect. How how you do that to a, a team in the NFL? Just admit, they out physical you. They were the better team that day. And move on. I, I don't know, Micah Parsons, I love you as a player, but that was that was a punk move. <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with Rex. Again, if I'm a Cowboy fan, I don't want to hear Micah Parsons' comments. Because a serious team doesn't play mm-hmm. down to its competition, no, no, it, even in the NFL. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it, it, and look, it, it's the Cardinals were the team that came out and operated efficiently, and they functioned, and they moved the football. Uh, they kept the Cardinals. Off, or I'm sorry, they kept the Cowboys off balance. They made Michael Parsons a non-factor. For the most part, he was. And they did the same thing uh, to the Dallas defense to Ceedee Lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, had a yeah. couple of numbers put up on the board, but you know wasn't a main threat offensively. I think Michael Gallup and, and Tony Pollard were the biggest, and Rico Dowdle, yeah. really, for that matter. Uh, yeah, they just threats. they look like a really well-coached, engaged football team I, on Sunday. I think that game showed the Cardinals are better than most people thought they'd be and that the Cowboys are the same 
good regular season team that you can't take that seriously. Oh, yeah, and, I would. Yes, I would say that what I, th- I think what yesterday proves is that the Cowboys do not belong in the same sentence as say the 49ers or the Bills, Eagles, Eagles, yeah. right? Exactly. Dolphins, even Dolphins. Yeah, right. Uh, and real quick on the subject of respect, we've been keeping an eye on this too. The power rankings from around the mm-hmm. league. Uh, early survey, uh, as they usually come out on Tuesdays. The Athletic has the Cardinals up to 27 from 32. ESPN's got them up to 25 from 32. Uh, USA Today for the wins got them up for 24 from 31. The Ringer still has them 30th. That's that's really, really, really odd to yeah. me. USA Today's got them 27th uh, up from 30, and Sporting News has them up 20 to 27 from 31. So... Drips and drabs. Good way to put it, Bick. <laughs> what is a drab? I don't hmm. know. I only know of drab as an adjective. Kind of like, yeah. Not as a yeah, noun. Like, like plain. But drips yeah. and drabs, is a, it's a saying. It's a, it is. It is. I don't know either, boys. I don't know either. Uh, you know, you can expect someone like Mike, Micah Parsons to say what he said. Um, but I would have to agree with them. If you're a Cowboys fan, you don't want to hear that mess. Same if you're a Cardinals fan, you never want to hear, oh, they had a good plan. Well, when are you going to have a good plan? You know? Like, that. that's what we were saying the whole time. Um, Cowboys got beat, you know? I don't think it diminishes them and says, hell, you're a bad team. They, you, you know, Cardinals were better than you. Are Are they overall better than you? No, I don't think so. That day they were. You know, suck it up and move on. Uh, uh, Burns and Gambo kind of add, you know, a, a little bit to that to kind of take a little bit of a different spin. Line from a story today on Sports Illustrated from Connor Orr, longtime NFL writer. Jonathan Gannon and the Arizona Colonels can no longer be considered laughing. So there we go. <laughs> we're not the laughing stocks. No, we're not. No. Celebrate. Yeah, celebrate. Yes. In Arizona. We are not a laughing stock. Look, we thought we would be, but we're not. Honestly, the, the Chicago Bears took that. They with, did. With Between Justin Fields calling out his coaching and then a coach resigning under unusual, mysterious, possibly law enforcement related circumstances kind of thing. Broncos might be saying, hold my beer, though. <laughs> the they just gave up 100 points. <laughs> They got one of their players saying, man, what we do is lose. I mean, in nine years, what we do is lose. This is true. This is very, well, very true. The reporters are calling for Van Joseph to be fired immediately. Like, uh, and they play each other this week. That yeah. is, like, that is, like, I, you know what? You, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I like to watch some of those crazy, like, you know, animal videos where. Like the lion the chases lion down chases the, the gazelle zebra, or yeah. something or the zebra. Yeah. Yeah. And, or it's kind of going to be like that a little bit, you know? For who? For what do you Something mean? Like between the Broncos and the Bears, it could be like oh, watching. That game? Oh God! Yeah. That, 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 I'm gonna say it, train wreck, but it's like uh, I, I almost am interested in the outcome of that football no, like, game. Like sometimes a movie can be so bad that it's good, right? Yeah. Like uh, it's like, it's gonna have Pulp that fiction, kind of. You thought it was good. It was terrible, <laughs> but you liked it. Campo, easy over there. I was going to say. Worst movie I've ever seen was, was Three Amigos, say, but that one's close. Let's do a Twitter poll mm. and find out how many people in our audience think Pulp Fiction was bad. The Three Amigos was the worst movie oh, I've ever that seen. That one you might have an argument. That was the worst movie I've but ever that, seen. But see, that movie is actually the perfect. That that one you're right on when it comes to a movie that's so bad it's kind of good. It was so bad. A movie that's so corny and cheesy and goofy and dumb 
that it's actually kind of funny, right? Like you, you find yourself laughing almost in spite of it. Pulp Fiction's a masterpiece. Pulp Fiction's it just did you just didn't like it because they told it out of order. It's a great, great movie. Three Amigos. Okay, I'll buy you. Three Amigos. That one was so bad it's good. People are now. I don't know if this is done. I don't know if this is over. But this story basically is saying, let's run through everything that we kind of laughed at Jonathan Gannon about. We laughed about that video that the team put out a couple of months ago, and we laughed when he said this, and we laughed when he said that. And he writes, quote, we all may be quietly deleting our Gannon roasts at some point. Uh, it's that they damn near beat the commanders in week one. They were clubbing the Giants in week two. When we're talking about most teams, near wins are meaningless, but when we're talking about the Cardinals, their level of effort and attitude absolutely matters. Isn't that, okay, stop right there. This is a great talking point. NFL, right? NFL, like no moral victories. Wrong. I, 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 I said in the beginning of the season, one of the things I'm going to look for is how many close games do they play in. Mm -hmm. It was my main thing. I want to see them play in close football games. I want them to be competitive. I don't want them to get blown out the way. If I was a Broncos fan right now, you're humiliated. Yeah. You're, you look at Mitch. He can't even show his face right now. <laughs> Bailey almost didn't come into work yesterday. <laughs> you're humiliated. You're a Bronco fan. You can't even tell people. What team are you for? Uh, I don't really watch the NFL anymore. I'm a, more of a college football fan. Dion, go Buffs! Like, you can't even admit you're a Bronco fan. Yeah. They're going to be wearing paper bags on their heads. There is something to say. There is something about a team that has no expectations to do anything. Playing hard, playing competitive, win a few games, be competitive in others, and say that, okay, there's probably a different word for moral victory. Okay, it's probably not a moral victory, but it, it does count for something. I think that that's a great line right there. I do believe in what he's saying. Moral victories, no. Progress, yes. Improvement, absolutely. Hope, for the future, sure. I, I mean, yeah, good words, all good words. Yeah, got another I, one? Keep going. I just tapped out at those, but 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 that's but that's what. It, and you said a word. Since we're parsing words here, it's it's everything comes from expectations. All right. When you're expected to be the worst team in the league, when you're number thirty-two out of thirty-two, when the whole world says you're tanking for Caleb Williams, man, moral victory, no. But you're anything that's better than that. Anything that shows you got a heartbeat and a pulse and you're competing in these games, you look at that as progress. You look at that as as better than we thought and an improvement over what we were expecting. I, I mean, you're expecting if you're if you're expecting a team to compete for a Super Bowl and they're a 500 football team, the year is a massive disappointment, right? It works the opposite. If you're expecting your team to be the very worst in the league, and they are very clearly not the very worst in the league, mm -hmm. how do you not? look at that as some form of success okay. as some form of progress and gannon's been at the at the center of all of it what if i told you the cardinals were going to go 0 17 this year but every single game they would lose by one score what would you say i would say you got the number one pick in the draft and you're showing me that you're competitive in games i didn't expect you to be competitive in okay is that but, what you were looking for that's what i would have said yes but i will say i will say and that's 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 good but i will say that you lose one game, now you got a five-game losing streak, a seven-game losing streak, a 10-game losing streak, a 12-game losing streak. It beats the hell out of a team. Yeah. You have to get a couple of wins in there to just – because losing sucks. <laughs> and it beats players down. It beats coaches down. It beats owners down. It beats the fans down. You got to throw them uh, – you know, you, you got to throw them a uh, – 
What's the, what's the word? Just give him a cookie every now every and now then. Every now and then. Right? A cookie. Throw him a cookie. Give him okay. a cookie every now right. and then, right? Give every a once in a while, something you, to be happy you about. you got to have something to be your, something to be happy about. You get a win against Dallas. Now, maybe you lose to San Francisco. You lose to Cincinnati. Win one of the games against uh, against the Rams or Seattle. It's another win. You just got to have some wins um, to just not let that losing seep into the organization and destroy you from the inside out. Yeah. Here's something else they write, and this is probably the line that stood out to me the most. At the very least, if the Cardinals had Caleb Williams in their periphery, it seems Gannon and the team was not apprised of those designs. Tanking in the NFL is already difficult, but it's even harder when a team is going full throttle every week as Arizona has. This may be the last time we think about the Cardinals this season, but by logging the biggest upset of the year, they have proven themselves bus takers or whatever it was Gannon was talking about during that speech <laughs> that we are officially not allowed to make fun of anymore. And that's basically We're officially the point. Not we're not allowed to make fun of him anymore. Yeah. You know, like it's it's he's and that's for being the last coach hired in the cycle, the one with some of the biggest question marks in terms of the tampering and how he got here, how it ended in the Super Bowl, sure. constantly getting ripped by Philly media. This week has been now. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. The Cardinals. Look, we got to consider the possibility of the Cardinals at some point become the team that we thought they were going to be at the start. But it's been real clear after the first through three weeks. They're just better than anybody thought. Look at the power rankings. Look at some of the advanced metrics that I know Darren Urban wrote about today on azcardinals.com. If you look at some of the, it, it clearly paints this picture of a team that is not nearly as bad as everybody thought. And that's a testament to Monty and the way he put this team together. And that's very much a testament to Jonathan Gannon, a guy who had a lot of question marks as a coach and a lot of people doubting him and a lot of people mocking him and laughing him. And I think he's a little bit of a victory lap right now. He'd never say that, but I think he's on a little bit of a victory lap right yeah, now. I think you're right. And the thing you said yesterday makes a lot of sense. That you know, One of the things that may come out of this is that they have the right head coach, they have the right GM, they have the right coordinators. Yeah, you can you can agree with what's said there to to a certain extent. You know, I mean, there there's still a lot of things um, behind the scenes as it pertains to the Cardinals that you know you can still rip them for and make fun of them for and whatnot. Um, mainly, you know the the former regime and stuff like that, and the stuff you know accused of uh that's being accused of michael bidwell but as far as this this current team um i i think you know what is said is is true and um because they have you know they looked a lot better than than anybody expected most certainly um maybe the last but not least but we'll we'll find out um, we'll have uh, some ASU, and that's up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. All right. Um, Kenny Dillingham spoke to media uh, yesterday after uh, practice and uh, had a couple things that uh, he, he uh, said. Um, in as it pertains to getting ready to hit the road against Cal. Hey, Coach, just having uh, Trenton back out on the field today. How important was that for you? Awesome. You know, great leader, super smart guy, so it's really good to have him back. Obviously, uh, Drew Pine's going to be out this week. 
I'll just get that out the bag. He's been dealing with two really, you know, pretty extreme things that he's tried to battle back from, and he's got a third one now. So uh, we just, he's out for uh, the near future. Are you kind of, it's your quarterback depth chart has changed like every week now for four or five weeks. It's hard to get continuity. Yeah, but you know, nobody cares. So find a way. But you're going on the road for the first time. That presents sometimes can be problems with guys traveling and all that kind of stuff. How do you deal with that this week? Yeah, it's football. The main thing's the main thing. Stay focused on the football. Don't get distracted by the traveling. You're on a play, cool. Had a kid who said he wanted to see the Golden Gate Bridge, cool. I'll show you a photo in the team meeting, right? So all that stuff, like it doesn't matter. Right? Let's just go play the game of football and it'll be the same process. We do a little bit of tweaks because it's a morning game. But other than that, they just have less time on a Friday uh, here in town. They have to travel and then it's uh, as usual. Can you just talk about the um, adjustments that you've had to make from a week-to-week -week basis and how maybe that's different as a head coach versus your prior roles? Yeah, I would say, you know, when I was a, a coordinator, all I thought about was how many reps could I get and how could I make sure that I covered everything. And now it's like, okay, whose bodies as a team are wearing down? How do I manage or limit reps in order to stay fresh for game day? And that was one thing that was a positive that I told the guys in the game is we had the majority of our team, over 75% of our skill players, hit 90% of their top speeds, which that's the goal is to hit those on game day. And that sounds like, oh, that should always happen, right? It actually very rarely happens. But uh, it's a testament to our strength staff, testament to, our, uh, to Jerry, uh, in terms of just keeping our guys ready and physically in a good position to perform on uh, Saturday. And what about um, when you're much more involved in the offense, the possibility for blind spots in other areas? Uh, how, do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, stay up later. <laughs> that's, that's it. How about injuries this week? How are you doing other than uh, we're, we're pretty status quo uh, to last week. I uh, got a few guys that were limited last week or that were ruled out that may be able to come back, but too early to tell right now. You mentioned the afternoon game too. That's a little bit different than what you've done so far. A little bit different. I'm excited because that's when we practice. So that's an adjustment for me is all these late games and us practicing in the mornings and playing 7.30 kickoffs. You know, that's something that I've already already thought about and took notes on, on is that the best way for us to practice based off of our kickoff times. And if our kickoff times don't change, is that something that we need to tweak as a staff? And I need to tweak being here in a place that gets more night games because of the heat and not as many day games. So uh, I'm putting all those in a notebook and we'll reassess all that after the season to see if there's a better way uh, to win football games. Where is Trent now? I mean, obviously him being out last week and not practicing and now coming back this week, where is he in regard to where he was before he got hurt? Yeah, I would say full strength. I mean, not 95% to full strength. He looks great out there today. His arm looks fresh, to be honest. Uh, so maybe that time off uh, that last week not throwing really rested his body, rested his arm, because his arm looks fresh. Those two teams battling for their first Pac-12 win. How tough do you anticipate this one? Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, if you look at, and I said this in my presser yesterday, the history of a Coach Wilcox coach team, they're in every game. Every game they're in. They play games, they always adjust. This is the ultimate chess match when you play this guy. And it's not a guessing match. They don't guess on defense. They make calculated jabs all game. And uh, that's why they do such a good job. That's why he's the head coach there. 
is Kazi does such a good job on defense, and offensively they're aggressive and they attack. So we got to limit the explosiveness. So this is a great challenge for us. I believe we're 13 point underdogs. Uh, so we got to go, you know, play to the best of our ability. Coach, the offensive success against USC, have you seen that carry over into practice so far this week? Yeah, uh, I don't want to sound wrong, but I don't want to use the word success. The offense's ability to be better, not to be confused with good. We were not good, we were better. Uh, I hope that continues. I hope we continue to get better. Uh, but I would not rule that as success. That's not how I would define a successful offensive performance. I would define that as a better offensive performance and uh, nowhere to be confused with what I believe is a good offensive performance. On the flip side of the ball, defensively, I thought uh, take away three plays, take away a third and 20. We MA a twist game and, and MA a coverage, should have been matched thirds, turned into true thirds. They throw a four verticals route into the seam. Uh, and there's a third and 20, that's seven points. And a, and a low red zone call uh, that should have been a TFL and Caleb Williams became Caleb Williams, uh, 11 points. So when you take away that, if you take away those two plays and there's one more pick, you could argue too. But if you add just those two plays, 11 points, and you're holding them to you know, low 30s, 20-something points, that's a really good defensive performance. But that's the hard part about defense, is that all it takes is one play. Uh, offense, you can survive one play as long as it's not a turnover. Defense, you can't. So I think uh, those guys played a good football game with a few mistakes that were catastrophic. And those are the ones that they're trying to fix. So the, the MAs are more inopportune times than a lot more than you would expect generally. Yeah, like what I told uh, our guys in the meeting was our worst day on defense last week was third down day. Our MAs came on third down. So you practice how you play. So we got to have a, we had a good day of practice today on defense. We're going to come out and have another good day. And I'll say this, just one thing is we got to make sure that people understand how tough Shamari is, JC is, Joey Ramos is. Those guys are playing banged up. They're playing hurt. They're playing with bumps and bruises. They don't feel good and they're battling their cuts out. And I think that's one reason why our defense has had the success they've had is there's a bunch of guys in our defense that are just tough, play tough, practice tough, live tough. And uh, I think that carried over to the game. And I think slowly our offense is building guys like that. And I think Joey uh, did a phenomenal job in the game. At the, at the offensive line, really challenging um, task for Steve Miller being such a young coach and taking so much responsibility coaching that unit. How impressive you've been with him today in practice also on Saturday. Yeah, he's done a great job uh, communicating from the box. And also Matt Christensen hopping over there. He's that experience with the O-line. Really, really good football coach as well. So I think both those guys are doing a really good job filling in. And uh, prayers up for Coach Saga and hope to be back soon. But like I told him is I don't care if you feel well until you get a doctor's note. You're not coming back on this field because uh, you know life's the most important thing. So until you get a doctor's note that says you can be back on this field, you're staying at home and we got you. Because I really believe that like everybody's worried about what other people think all the time, way too much. Can't worry about what other people think. I don't care if people like my press conference, don't like my press conference, like if I go for it, don't like if I go for it. I could give a crap. I got here doing everything I could and what I believe is the right way. And I'm going to keep doing everything I can full speed and what I believe is the right way. And if that's not the right way, then guess what? It's not the right way but it's what I believe in. So if you every day just wake up, worry about yourself, 
understand that nobody cares about your circumstance. Nobody cares about the pain. Show me the baby, right? Nobody asks, they say, where's the little one? Right, nobody asks any other questions. That's life. Nobody cares about the pain. Show me the baby, they want the results. And sometimes you don't get to show them the results. So you really can't worry about other people. You gotta worry about your process and believe that you're doing things the right way. And if you continue to work and continue to work, you're gonna have those fun moments on Saturday night eventually. Coach, I'm guessing you almost Cam said that uh, after the game, you made a comment real quick that you might be in trouble for throwing on that fake punt. So was that scripted for him to throw, or did he just call with Elijah and make the play? Yeah, completely designed. So if you're playing us, you better be prepared. We always have one of those. Uh, they look ad-libbed, but real plays built into the game plan. So always know I give him the freedom to do whatever he wants when he's as the punter in there. So just keep your head on a swivel. Did your heart drop when he threw it? Uh, my heart dropped when he took the snap at five <laughs> When he threw it, my heart actually got excited because I saw a badge open. And uh, believe it or not, I got a lot of I got a lot of faith in Scott. Scott's a super heady, heady player, like super heady player, super smart and aware. So even though that was not part of the plan, even though my heart dropped, I actually was kind of at ease because I'm like, if he did this, there's a reason, right? Now I don't know how him and Badge were on the same page. That I want to discuss, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I have a lot of faith in Scott. That's why we let him take the snap a lot. Coach, I'm sure you saw the Notre Dame minus one player defensively in the last two series, two plays against Ohio State. Does that change anything you do practice-wise to be aware of those kind of things? No, I mean, we've, uh, that's been one of the things, knock on wood, that I've been pleased with. You know, we've been one of the least penalized teams in the Pac-12. We haven't had many substitution errors. Uh, we haven't had many false starts, many illegal men on the field. We've only had to burn one timeout due to a uh, personnel and offense. That was my fault in week two or week three, I can't remember, uh, Oklahoma State week, week two. So really our coach has done a phenomenal job with the detail of uh, penalties, substitutions, getting guys on and off the field. All right, that's uh, everything uh, ASU. Uh, we will have Diamondbacks. Um, everything's available, so um, we will uh, get to that here next on Big Sky Sports Talk. The Cardinal segment was long enough to where we can get to some Diamondbacks and um, what a game it was. 15-4, to Diamondbacks beat the White Sox in the first game of this three-game set. Ryan Nelson is the winning pitcher. Zach Davies, unfortunately, uh, gave up all the earned runs um, that uh, Chicago would uh, receive. And unfortunately, Zach Davies back to his old self. Three innings pitched, eight hits, the four earned runs, one walk, only three strikeouts. His ERA is right at seven. Just atrocious. Uh, Ryan Nelson, the winning pitcher, four and two-thirds, one hit, two walks, four strikeouts, 5.35 ERA. Bryce Jarvis, a third of an inning, zeros across the board, uh, 2.45. And then uh, Kyle Nelson, um gets uh the uh save 
one inning pitch, zeros across the board, 3.79 ERA. Um, that is, is, that's rough, 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 uh, that, uh, um, what happened to Zach Davies and, and, uh, but your offense picked, picked you up. Corbin Carroll, unfortunately, over four. Jake McCarthy has a pinch hitter over one. Cattell Marte was, uh, two for four and a home run. Jordan Lawler over one. Tommy Pham is a DH over three. Uh, Christian Walker, three for five and two home runs. Alec Thomas, two for five. Uh, Lourdes Gurrillo Jr., two, uh, three for five, excuse me. Um, Gabby Moreno, 0 for three. Um, a, let's see, uh, Peterson, Jace Peterson, 0 for four. And Perdomo, two for three. Diamondbacks had um, 15 runs on 12 hits. Very efficient. Um, and the White Sox, four runs on nine hits and two errors. Here's how the game went down. Six games to go. The Major League Baseball postseason begins one week from today. And if the D-backs want to take part, They'll need to stack up as many wins here over the next three days against the struggling White Sox club. It's going to be a great opportunity for them to go out there and try to take this series. Jose Urania goes to the mound for his ninth start. His ERA is playing like, as you can see, few too many walks. However, lately he's gotten the ball over the plate. And because he's a sinker baller, if he's getting ground balls early, you'll know it. Corbin Carroll, the left-hand hitting right fielder, leads things off. And the first pitch is hit in the air the other way to left. It's deep, and Benintendi back, and he makes the grab on the warning track right in front of the fence to retire Corbin Carroll. On the ground to shortstop, Tim Anderson on the charge and throw, and he does get it there to Vaughn. So the Diamondbacks, who don't swing and miss a whole lot, and are prone to attack, have two outs and four pitches. He's swinging a ground ball up the middle, past the mound, picked up by Elvis, and he rifles to Vaughn, and Arania breezes through the first inning. One, two, three on six pitches. Your D-back starter tonight, the right-hander Zach Davies, who's not pitched in 10 days. His last appearance against the Cubs was that wild extra inning win at Chase Field September 16th. He is well-rested, Gonzo, to say the least. Yeah, the thing with him, he's, he's a control guy, so he's got to be around that plate and get those pitches on the outer edges. Not going to overpower you with his stuff. Up the middle for Cattell Marte behind the bag. And there's one away. Two and two for Benintendi. <laughs> that is through. Base hit. Andrew Vaughn. Base hit right side, Andrew Vaughn. Benintendi will jog the second, two on with one out for Eloy Jimenez. Davies has given up 92 hits this year. Thing is, he's only given up nine home runs, so he keeps the ball in the ballpark. He stretches and pitches on an 0-2 and a swing and a blast. Deep left field, and she's going to go. Three-run homer, and the Sox have the early lead. I guess he does give up a home run or two. Broadcasters, jinx work, baby. We'll take it. He's going to be a 30-plus home run guy each and every year that he stays healthy enough to get the proper at-bats. So an uphill battle for the Diamondbacks. Off the side of the mound, Peterson in front of Perdomo, and it's two down. It's three and two. And that's low, ball four. And Davies is on the search for answers right now. That's a laser to left field for Elvis. 
Gavin on his way to third, and he will stop there. It's a double for Elvis Andrews. A lot of noise against Zach Davies from these White Sox bats. Swing and a miss. He struck him out, and the inning is over. After one, White Sox with the lead. Walker, three RBI, shy of 100 for the year. And this one swung on, barreled out towards right center field. Thompson going back at the wall, and it's gone. A solo home run from Christian Walker, his 32nd of the season, and it's now 3-1. to one. Diamondbacks on the board. I mean, a way to answer back, call back into this game, and that's a way to do it. That's a great way to get closer to 100 RBIs, just spank one out of the ballpark. Two outs, two on for the White Sox, who lead it 3-1 to one in the bottom of the second inning. It will be up to Eloy, who hit a three-run homer in the first inning. Towards shortstop, scorch pass, Perdomo. Here comes Anderson, and that had some heat into left field. Eloy's driven in all four. This one just rockets by Perdomo, who could not keep it in the infield, and Sox get that run back. They have their three-run lead, courtesy of Eloy Jimenez. Top of the third inning. Marte grounded out his first time. Here's an opportunity for him. One out, got the heart of your order coming up. First pitch swinging right back to the mound. Arrania throws it into center. Perdomo will score. Carroll into third, a break for the Diamondbacks, and it's 4-2. That was an easy as you please one six three waiting to happen and Arania throw it away and now fam the batter as there's a huge run at third with only one out and the pitch swing and a high fly ball to medium depth left field it should be deep enough to score Carroll Benatendi makes the catch and he will simply pocket it and it's a one run ball game Diamondbacks need to get a win here they trail it 4 3 leadoff man aboard here comes Corbin who walked his last time. Broken bat bouncer. Andrews to second. Anderson's going to eat that one. They'll settle for one. It looked like a bit of a neighborhood play, perhaps, at second base, and they will challenge. Did Anderson get his foot on the bag? Oh. Yeah, that's a great challenge. Oh, it's not even close. The call on the field is overturned. The runner is safe. Arizona retains their challenge. Once again, Alan Campbell, the best in the business. So Perdomo safe at second. Corbin Carroll's at first. Nobody out. And the batter is Cattell Martin. 1 0 line drive into center field. That's a base hit. Perdomo had to hold, so nobody scores. But the bases are loaded with nobody out, and the Diamondbacks have a chance to tie or take the lead. Walker sends it to right center. That's going to get down and get to the wall. And here we go. Corbin is home. Cattell is home. Tommy Pham will score. Walker into third with a three run triple. 7-4 Diamondbacks, and Walker has 30 and 100. He split the gap between Thompson and Sheets out there, and everybody came on in. Two balls, two strikes on Thomas, and he swings high. Chopper, it's over the first baseman, Vaughn down the line. Another run comes home to score. A five spot in the fifth, and it's 8-4 Diamondbacks. Yeah, he gets it in the air to center. Thompson's under it. Alec Thomas at third. Coming in is Thompson. He fires it in. Look at Gurriel run into an out. There's nobody at first. And Lourdes is back in time. Alec comes across and it's 9-4. Oh, Gurriel was a dead duck. Vaughn chased him down holding the baseball. And Lourdes spotted a wide open first base and somehow got back there in time. Well, it's been Christian Walker's night. He has homered and tripled in the same game for the first time in his career. Christian bidding for one more. Backs up Sheets. Backing up to the wall. And it's gone. 
one. Preston Walker tacks on two more. He's knocked in six, and it's 11 to four. Ooh, have a night, Christian Walker. Tell Marte leads off the eighth. Swung on. That's it deep to center field. And right on cue, a missile shot for Marte. And it's now a dozen runs for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, they just keep pouring it on. And you're right. The center fielder out there, Thompson, barely took a look at it. Well, going to the ninth inning. Chance for Perdomo now to drive in a couple of runs with one out, second and third. The one. There's a rifle shot down the line. And that's going to go to the wall. Two more are in as Perdomo hustles to second. And he's on his way to third. Perdomo is in there with a two-run triple. And it's 14 to 4. Boy, Geraldo Perdomo, that 0 for 25 skid earlier this month seems a distant memory now. A tremendous night for Geraldo Perdomo. This slide into third, however, maybe Gonzo not the highlight. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> overshooting the runway a little bit. Just hang on. Well, he needed a parachute to come out of his back pocket. And it's grounded weakly over to first. Vaughn has it. They will toss to the bag in time, but I don't think any of us saw. Arizona ripping off 14 unanswered to take a 15 to 4 lead and we're set for the bottom of the ninth inning here two down for Vaughn this is popped up for Walker fittingly he has a chance to end the ball game what a night for Christian Walker and he's got it Walker the triple the two home runs a career high six RBIs. guys he gets his 3100 season and the Diamondbacks get a big win 15 to 4 they pick up a game on the Cubs all alone for that second National League wild card spot with only five games left to play. Well, Steve pretty much said everything that I needed to say. Uh, the only thing he didn't say is um, with uh, the um, a loss uh, to Chicago um, that secured Milwaukee uh, for the Central. So Chicago, no, can't take the central. They 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 still have to fight for um, a um, wild card spot along with Cincinnati, and um, a let's see who had to, I guess with a Philly win, um is what locked them up for that first wild card spot. Um, so when you look at the standings and you go to the wild card, Philly, they locked up the first wild card spot. No one can catch them. There's there's uh, five games left. They are up by six games. No one can catch them, so they, they get that. Um, Diamondbacks are one game ahead of uh, Chicago. At 83 and 74, um, they had that tiebreaker anyway. They are seven and three in their last ten. Um, are the Diamondbacks and Chicago um, lost, and they are four and six in the last uh, ten. Miami is only a half game ab uh, back from Chicago at 81 and 75. And they've won two in a row, and they're six and four in their last ten. Cincinnati is one and a half back, um, and they are are eight and two in their last ten. No, no, no. Cincinnati is five and five. Excuse me, five and five in the last uh, ten at eighty-one and seventy-seven, and um, 
one more win uh or well one more San Diego loss in in any combination of in pretty much anybody else Cincinnati Miami Chicago or uh Arizona specifically you know Cincinnati My, Miami um win uh and a San Diego loss um I believe or maybe even one or the other will eliminate San Diego. San Francisco's uh, officially eliminated uh from playoff contention. So San Diego is four and a half back. Um so yeah. Someone else wins and or they lose, um San Diego's out. Um so then it would just basically be Arizona, the Cubs and Miami and Cincinnati all fighting for spots uh, two and three. Um, and right now the Diamondbacks are in sole possession of that second wild card spot. Um, as far as uh, today's game, they will, um, it will be a 12 10 uh, Mountain Standard Time first pitch. Brandon fought. Uh, will uh, take the mound against uh, Luis uh, Patino, right-handed uh, pitcher against right-handed pitcher. Um, and I do believe that is that is it. Um, what a what a spanking. Um, the uh, Diamondbacks put on, absolutely. Hopefully, they can uh, win today and uh, win the series. Um, that's what they need to do at bare minimum. Um, but yeah, that's that's everything. That's the whole show. I appreciate you guys listening um, today and listening yesterday. Uh, surprisingly, numbers are still where they are i would like them to go up but at least if they're not going to go up i i'd rather them stay consistent and uh you guys have uh answered the call on that um and i know yesterday's show was long today's show was not quite as long but still long enough and i appreciate you guys listening as always uh big sky sports talk at gmail.com if you want to get involved in the uh, the conversation I always welcome that uh, you can shoot me a message at Big Sky Sports Talk um, gmail.com as I said you can also direct message me uh, Facebook and Instagram at Big Sky Sports Talk or TikTok as well um, and I'm also on YouTube YouTube at Big Sky Sports Talk so easy to find and easy to follow um, like comment uh, follow share um the the posts made i appreciate everybody that that does that um and uh again we are on uh spotify google apple um iHeartRadio, amazon music plenty of places to listen hit uh hit that subscribe button hit that bell notification so that way you don't miss out on the show and when the show comes out um, that way you can share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and enemies. And uh, just like I said, help spread the word about this show. And uh, let, let's continue to uh, get it going. Um, I think that's it. 
uh, we will um, likely do the same thing for tomorrow's show. Um, and uh, um, do, you know, uh, ASU and, and um, the Cardinals before we talk uh, um, today's D-backs game. So that way we can get it in and uh, mention it. But until tomorrow, I appreciate you guys as always. Thanks.